All right, will you please take your Bibles with me this morning and open them to the book of Mark, chapter number 10. Mark 10, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning, which bring before us uh, the subject of marriage and divorce. And in a congregation as diverse as we are, a sermon on marriage will likely be uh, received in many different ways. The married, the single, the divorced, the widowed, and our young people will all hear this message very differently, okay? But I want to encourage everyone, whether you think you need to hear a sermon on marriage or not, you are in this sanctuary this morning, at this moment, at this time, by divine providence, and God has something to say to you through this passage. So let's read. Follow along with me, beginning at verse number 1. Will you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? Mark chapter 10, verse number 1. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them, and Pharisees came up. And in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce to send her away. And that just sounds really bad, doesn't it? Verse 5, And Jesus said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples, in the house of the disciples, asked him again, about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Dear brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your Word. Take it, use it in a a mysterious and miraculous way, to change us even now as these seconds pass from the inside out for the glory of your sa- of, of, of our Savior, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the blessings of preaching verse by verse through the Bible is that you don't get to skip the hard passages. And if you were here last week, you know that we had hard passage last week about sin, temptation, and the doctrine of hell. Well, here we are with another hard passage about marriage and divorce. And I want to begin by acknowledging that a sermon on marriage 
has the potential to produce a wide range of emotions from those who hear it. Some will feel joy and encouragement. Some here this morning will feel joy and encouragement. Others may feel pain. You may feel hurt. And others may even feel anger. For some, this may kindle a deep sense of regret for past choices. But whatever the case, I want all of us, every single one of us, from six years old to 96 years old, that there is abounding grace for every single one of us at the cross. And I would encourage you to pray even now. Just breathe a prayer to to God that he would give you a receptive and obedient heart to what Jesus says here in these verses. You know, it feels like It feels like stating the obvious to say that marriage has fallen on hard times in our time, in our day and culture. You know, we all, all of us know someone who has been divorced. Perhaps even multiple times. Or perhaps you, one of you in here this morning, have been divorced. Perhaps even multiple times. Divorce is a cancer that is eating away at the very fabric of our society. And I want to say up front that absolutely none of what I'm going to say this morning will mesh with the prevailing worldview of our culture, which does not, which will not hear the teaching of God's Word on anything, much less marriage. So everything I'm going to say this morning is going to be very, very, extremely countercultural. So all those voices that you and I have been hearing pouring into our ears, hearts, and minds day after day out there, what I'm going to say may be shocking to those voices. But divorce is not just a societal tragedy, friends. It is a spiritual evil. Did you hear me? Divorce is a spiritual evil because it assaults God's design and intent for marriage that Jesus describes here in these verses before us this morning. And I want us to see from this passage one sort of big idea. This is the the idea that should resonate throughout this message. That marriage should be held sacred because it reflects God's sovereign plan for the fundamental human relationship to be a picture of His covenant faithfulness to His people through Christ. That's a mouthful. Let me say it again. Marriage should be held sacred because it reflects God's sovereign plan for the fundamental human relationship to be a picture of His covenant faithfulness to His people through 
Christ. That's why marriage exists. The primary reason why it exists. So we're going to use three main headings to establish that, to work through this passage. They're in your bulletin in the insert. But the first one is that we need to be asking the right questions about marriage. We need to be asking the right questions. In verse 1, Jesus is having, or he's leaving Galilee with his disciples for a very brief and final ministry in Judea. He's ultimately on his way to Jerusalem where he'll spend Passion Week, the final week of his life, before being crucified. So on the chronology and the timeline of Jesus' life, we're looking about just a few months left. This is probably winter of A.D. 29. Okay? Not long is left, four or five months at most. And Jesus and his disciples are in a region that Mark calls beyond the Jordan. This is a a region that is also known as Perea. If you look on your Bible map in the back of your Bible, it'll probably say Perea. It'll be directly east of the Jordan River. And crowds have once again gathered around Jesus, and he is teaching them as he always did. When a group of Pharisees show up, with a question about divorce. Verse 2 says, And Pharisees came up in order to test him and asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And friends, this was an explosive question. They had just handed Jesus a grenade with the pen pulled. Because divorce, much as it is in our day, in the church anyway, in the first century century was a controversial issue in Judaism. And it had essentially two positions. One, some believed that divorce was allowed for any reason. And others believed that it was allowed only in the case of adultery. And the Pharisees, by asking Christ this question, wanted to drag him in to this controversy and perhaps create division, create additional trouble for him. And you know, not much has changed, really, since the first century has it, because divorce is still very much a controversial issue among Christians today. I don't know if it's that controversial among those who don't profess to know Christ. But maybe it is. But at least in the church, it is still very controversial. And the question that they asked in the first century is really the same that we ask today. Under what circumstances is divorce permissible? That's what they were asking. When is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It's a legitimate question. But we have to be very careful how and why we ask that question, don't we? Lest we be like the Pharisees and ask it with the wrong motives. You see, they ask that question only to trap Jesus in controversy. But in the 21st century, we often ask that question 
only to get out of a marriage in which we feel trapped. Is it lawful for me to divorce my spouse now? How can I get out of this awful marriage? Instead, we need to be asking the question, how can I remain obedient to God in this struggling marriage and work to save it for His glory? Remember, I said this is all going to be very countercultural. So if we've, as we all have, we've been breathing that cultural air for the past, I don't know, yeah, I'm 44. I've been breathing it this whole time. We've got some 90 pluses in here. We've been breathing this air. And so these kind of statements might initially be met with some sort of, wait a minute. Instead of asking, how can I get out of this, this awful marriage, this unhappy marriage, we need to be asking, how can I remain obedient to God in this marriage, struggling as it is, to work to save it for the glory? That is the question we need, we need to ask when marriage hits bottom. And don't think that just because you are happy in your marriage right now that one day you won't be. All marriages are like roller coasters. They go up and down, and sometimes they hit rock bottom. And this is the question we need to ask. How can I be obedient to God for His glory to save it? Not, is it lawful for me to divorce my spouse? And so Jesus responded to the Pharisees' off-target question with a question of His own. Verse 3, He answered them, Well, what did Moses command you. The Pharisees were all about, you know, the law. Well, what did Moses say? What did he tell you to do? They answered in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Now, friends, this is a reference to Deuteronomy chapter number 24. You may, your Bible may have a note to that effect, but if it doesn't write in your notes, Deuteronomy 24. This is where Moses gave the Israelites various laws concerning divorce. But Jesus is probing, isn't he? Read beneath the surface here. He's probing beyond just the letter of the law, beyond just the fact that, yes, God has allowed for divorce, He's going beyond that to find the root of why he has allowed it. Look at verse number 5. He spells it out for us as plain as it could be. Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses has wrote you this commandment. You see, when we go back and read Deuteronomy 24, here's what we find. The laws concerning divorce were uniquely designed to protect women from the sinful arbitrariness of hard-hearted husbands. I'll read that again. When you go back to Deuteronomy 24, we find this, that the laws that Moses gave the Israelites concerning divorce, the permission, the allowance were uniquely designed to protect 
women, the woman, from the sinful arbitrariness of hard-hearted husbands. So then, God has granted divorce as a gracious provision. Now, we don't awfully, uh, often think of divorce as a gracious provision, do we? It's really, a, it's really not a good thing. But God has granted it as a gracious provision to protect women from the very worst expressions of the sinful human heart, which can potentially and often do occur within the marriage relationship. The prophet Malachi in Malachi chapter 2 calls it dealing treacherously with the wife of your youth. Malachi says when a husband no longer loves his wife, he clothes himself with violence. You see, an ungodly husband might be a charmer to everyone outside while being an oppressor to his wife in the four walls of their home. But divorce should be the last resort, friends. The last resort, not the first choice. And if you're here struggling today, if you're, if you're in a marriage that is on hard times, if you're struggling right now in your marriage, I want to encourage you to, to ask the right question. Not how can I get out with God's permission, but how can I obey God in every effort to save this marriage? As countercultural as it is, that's how we must think. We've got to be asking the right questions. Secondly, we need to refocus on the sanctity of marriage. We need to refocus on the sanctity of marriage. Verses 6 through 9, Jesus begins to shift the focus away from divorce. You see, this passage is actually more about marriage than it is divorce, okay? He shifts the focus away from whether it's okay or lawful for someone to divorce back to God's original design for marriage. And where does he take the Pharisees? He takes them back to Genesis. He speaks. Look, look, at, look at what Jesus does. He speaks to a current issue of his day by going back to the beginning. And friends, the same is true for us today. And believe it or not, we can find the answers to every moral or culture, cultural issue of our day in the very opening chapters of Genesis. It's there. Look at verses 6 through 9 of Mark 10, where Jesus actually quotes from the book of Genesis chapter 2. These verses are loaded, friends. They are loaded with truth and application. I'm going to give you four crystal clear statements that they make about marriage, four of them. Ready for this? Number one, marriage is established in creation. 
from the beginning of creation, Jesus said, God made them male and female. Look at everything, this, this single like verse, this little phrase, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Look at, look at what it says. Number one, it establishes that Adam and Eve were real individuals who lived in history, in space and time, and they were directly created by God. They are historical people. They're not mythological. They're not allegorical. Adam and Eve, with flesh on their bones, walked the same dirt that we do on this planet today. Maybe a little differently because it was shifted and changed by the global flood. But nevertheless, they walked this earth. Secondly, it establishes that there are only two genders. Male and female. There's a lot of confusion about that in our world today, in our culture here in America in particular, but Jesus has no problem saying there are two genders, male and female. Thirdly, listen, it pretty much eliminates the possibility of a four and a half billion year old earth, doesn't it? You may be thinking, what's this got to do with the age of the earth? Well, look at the verse. From the, what? Beginning of creation, God made them male and female. What is that saying? That Adam and Eve, the first male and female, were here from when? The beginning. And I don't know anyone, any scientist right now, who is saying that humans have walked the earth for four and a half billion years. Friends, this verse pretty much puts that discussion to rest out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. Adam and Eve were here as husband and wife from the beginning of creation. Not millions of years later. Okay. Secondly, this passage teaches that marriage is exclusively male and female. It is exclusively male and female. Verse, what is it, 6, 7. Therefore, a man shall leave his father, a, a who? A man shall leave his father and mother and what? Hold fast, your version may say cleave. Hold fast to his what? Wife. Friends, there is no room in this text or any other text in the New Testament or in the the Bible from cover to cover for that matter. There is no room here for same-sex marriage. And I say this with all grace. No matter how same-sex relationships are defined by cultures and courts in our world today. They are not marriage as God has defined it. They may be something else, some sort of partnership or domestic whatever, but they are not marriage. Marriage is exclusively male and female. Number three, 
marriage is distinctly monogamous. Verse 8, and the two, not six, not four, not, what's that show? What's it called? Sister Wives? No, that's not, no. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no, Jesus repeats it. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is important. Repetition is important, and Jesus repeats it. Friends, you can point, we can point our friends and, you know, among the fundamentalist Mormons or whatever out in Utah or wherever they're at, or on the television shows, sister wives or whatever, they can point to all the scriptures in the Old Testament about polygamy, and it doesn't mean a single thing. Just because God has allowed it, doesn't mean that he has approved of it. God allows a lot of things that he doesn't approve of, doesn't he? Watch the news. And everywhere we find polygamy in the Old Testament, we find nothing but trouble and chaos. Monogamy is God's design and intent for marriage. And Jesus says here, there's there's this extra phrase, the two will become one flesh. So marriage, then, is not, listen, marriage is not just two individuals living in the same house together. It is a spiritual, it is an emotional, an intellectual, a volitional, by that I mean the, the, the acts of our will. It is a, yes, physical and sexual union of Two people for whom everything about life has now become we-driven and no longer me-driven. You see, this is how God has designed the marriage relationship to work. And trouble in marriage starts when we live with that me-driven focus. Well, how is my spouse satisfying me? How is my spouse making me happy? How is my spouse enhancing my life? You want to find yourself in divorce court? Live like that. Fourthly, marriage is definitively permanent. And that's a stout. Marriage is definitively permanent. Look at verse number 9. What therefore God has joined together. You see, we have these, these marriage ceremonies. And there's a pastor up front reading. Or there's a judge. No. God is presiding over our marriages. God reserves sovereignty over our unions. And he says, this is Jesus now, right? What God has joined together, let no man, 
Let not man separate. God is the author of marriage. He alone gets to define marriage. He is sovereign over marriage. And He has created marriage as a permanent, covenantal union between one man and one woman for life. That's the biblical definition of marriage. A covenantal union between one man, one woman for for life. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning a very convicting question, friends. Are we letting Scripture define? I mean, if you know, we profess to be Christians, we profess to believe this, this, this book, submit to it. So are we letting it define our understanding of marriage, or are we allowing the world to do it for us? Are we upholding the sanctity of marriage? Now, some of you may be starting to squirm a little bit right now. Just hang on. Are we upholding the sanctity of marriage? Do we recognize God's sovereignty in how He has designed marriage to work? Or are we just kind of living together as two me-driven people living under the same roof? By the way, cohabitation is not a part of God's plan, friends. But we are consistently trying to find ways to do things our way, aren't we? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is is a way, there is a way that seems right to a man. Well, it makes sense to me to get this prenuptial agreement. It makes sense to to live together before we actually take take vows. Well, it makes sense. It seems right. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death, God says in Proverbs 14, 12. And friends, this is why we are seeing so much divorce right now and so much uh, family chaos in our world right now, in our culture, and even in the church. Because we think we know more than an infinitely wise God who has given us this uniquely beautiful union to promote human flourishing. You want to do what's good for you? Get married and have babies. This human flourishing can only happen when we live the way God has designed us to live. Not as we think it's okay, well, I'll just, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna put, we're going to have a trial period and live together for a couple of years before. Friends, that is not God's plan. That is not the way he's designed it to work. And when we try to work outside of his boundaries, we are inviting chaos. <laughs> We are inviting pain and suffering. And even when we do live within His boundaries, if we don't do it His way, we are also inviting chaos, pain, and suffering. And we need to refocus on the sanctity of marriage. Lastly, we need to submit to the boundaries of divorce. We've already established that divorce is permitted. It's in Deuteronomy 24, verse 12. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again. By the way, just as a side note, circle the amount of times that Mark uses the word again in this passage. He says it more than once or twice. And there's a, there's a reason why, but we're, we're getting a little on time. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, right? Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. I did not say that, friends. Jesus Christ said those words. So the conversation with the Pharisees is over now. And Jesus is back in a house with his disciples and there's this follow-up discussion. Why is there a follow-up discussion? There's a follow-up discussion because Jesus really didn't answer their question to begin with, did he? They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, he never really actually answered that question. And so his disciples wanted to follow up. And say, well, what do you really believe, Jesus? And Mark doesn't give us all the details here. But Matthew does in chapter 19 of his gospel. And when we put them all together, here's what we're left with. Jesus establishes a very clear boundary for divorce. This is going... This is, this is the most countercultural thing I'm going to say. Divorce is permissible where there is a clear violation of the marriage covenant, namely adultery. This is what Jesus mentions here. Adultery. Can I divorce my spouse? Have they committed adultery? In addition to adultery, we also learn from the Apostle Paul, just hang on to your seat, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that there's another reason that divorce is permissible, and it is desertion. We also call that abandonment, when a spouse just walks out on the marriage. Now, we may be tempted, and I'm sure our hearts right now are starting to lob objections. But what about abuse? Or what about this reason or that reason? Or... And listen, I, I want us to explore those issues a little deeper, actually a lot deeper. But we're going to have to do that when? Tonight. When I'm not about to run out of time, okay? So I want to encourage you to come back. It will be live streamed, but it's always better live and in person. Amen? It's always better live and in person. Amen? So everybody who just said amen, I'm going to be looking for you in the fellowship hall at 6 p.m. So what about all these other reasons that we have for divorce? I want to say this to our ladies, and I will explain everything. You know, I'll, we'll get into this a lot deeper tonight. If you or your children are being abused by your husband, you need to get help immediately. Okay? 
It is hard, I know. I'm speaking from the perspective of a man. It is hard, it is scary, but there is no hope for change or reconciliation until that awful sin is exposed and held accountable. You cannot let your husband continue to go on in this unbroken pattern of abuse. You need to reach out for help. Because that, that's immediately, I wanted to say that because that's what we always jump to. Well, if I can I, divorce, can I divorce for adult, yeah, divorce, adultery? If, yeah, if my spouse walks out, yeah. But, 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 but what about abuse? So I want to throw that out there. That sin must be held accountable. But we need to walk away from this text this morning feeling one thing, and that is the sacred gravitas, the sacred, the holy weight of marriage. If you're sitting there beside a person who has united themselves to you in covenantal marriage, (laughs) that is a serious thing. Friends, it is not okay just to leave because you are unhappy. You can break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you're unhappy. But you cannot walk out on that union with your spouse because you are unhappy. The world might tell you that. After all, you only live once. So why should you have to spend it in an unhappy marriage, right? Believe it or not, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that before, multiple times, from Christians. Why should I have to stay in a marriage that I'm not happy in? Would doesn't God want me to be happy? God wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be holy. We live under the Lordship of Christ who calls us to a higher and simultaneously a deeper way of living and whose love for His bride, the church, that's you and me, should be reflected in our marriages. You see, friends, marriage is a living witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've taken vows of marriage, you are a witness, a testimony to Jesus Christ, whether you realize it or not. Because He is a Savior who gave His life for a chosen bride who loves His people even in their sin despite of their unfaithfulness. He doesn't divorce us when we're unfaithful, when we're adulterous when we choose and pursue other things before we pursue Him. Now, our marriages will never measure up to that, friends. They will never measure up to Christ's sacrificial, infinite love for His people. But make no mistake, good, bad, or somewhere in between, they all point to that. Marriage points us to Christ. What do you think? Well, how so? 
I want to I want to close with Paul's exposition of the sacred mystery of marriage. Friends, marriage is, is not about licenses and documents and all marriage is a mystery. <laughs> Divine sacred mystery and Paul expounds on that in Ephesians 5, verse 22 to 33. Friends, I want you to listen closely, and I want you to listen prayerfully. This is the Word of God. Paul says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, I mean set apart, he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church, his bride, to himself in splendor. Why do brides walk down that aisle in in white today? What is white? An image of splendor, purity. That he might submit, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, men... Married men, in the same way, young men who are yet to be married, my son, Gabriel, who else? Adam. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man, Paul says, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, gee, that's the same thing Jesus said. But here it is. Verse 32, Ephesians 5 This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is about Christ and the church. Verse 33, however, so we don't get too mystical out there and think, well, it's all about Christ and the church and not about real life. No. Paul says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I wrote 
none of those words. Friend, you may be in a difficult marriage right now or a difficult relationship. You may, you may need to get married. You may be in something that's difficult or hard for you right now. Friend, there is grace for you today. Today. You may be haunted by past sins. Aren't we all? You may be haunted by the regret of a failed marriage. There's grace for you. You may not be married, but you may desperately want to be married and you wonder if God will ever bring that person into your life. Friend, there is grace for you. And to our young people, boys and girls alike, for whom marriage is still years away or perhaps just not so many years away, and you have seen the very best and the very worst of your parents' marriage, Friends, there is grace for you. If you do not know Christ at all, if none of this makes any sense to you, if you're like, this guy, is he's out of his mind. Because you're thinking with a worldly mindset that is not submissive to God's Word, there is grace for you. So regardless of where we're out in it, where we're at in our marriage or what our place in life is, single, married, divorced, widowed, young, friends, let's turn away from our sin and find in Christ a righteousness. Let's turn away from our self-righteousness and run to Jesus in repentance and faith and be renewed today Single or not, married or not, divorced or not, widowed or not, Christ can be all-sufficient in whatever place we're at in life. Let's pray this morning.